Welcome to Emmanuel. Wasn't that an awesome time of worship? We got to just, just express how we feel about God. You guys thankful for that, that opportunity to do that? I love sitting down front because I can sing as loud as I want to and you guys can't hear me and I feel like I'm actually part of the band down here. I'm just like screaming my head off. I just love it. So if you ever want to like sing really loud, just join me in the front row. There's like seven empty seats anyway. Um, but uh, hey, before we get started, I uh, just want to just make a few comments. You know, one of the verses I taught my kids very early on is that when they were very small and just kind of like before bed, we'd talk about 1 John 3.18. It, it says that, hey, dear children, don't just talk about love, but put love into action and it will truly be love. And we'd say that over and over and over again because I wanted them to know that love is a verb, love is an action. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks at this church, as, as I've, I've come back from a, a missions trip on, uh, from Haiti, and I've shared with you that there, you know, I, we discovered, not that we discovered, but I saw 29 little Haitian children that were eating twice a week uh, and didn't have a real, a real bed to sleep in or any sort of safe environment to sleep in. And when I saw that, I came back here and I presented that need to all of you. And over the last, uh, you know, three weeks or so, we've raised $88,000 for these kids. And um, what that means is that they're going to have a, a concrete orphanage with a wall around it. They're going to have bunk beds, mosquito nets, pillows, they're going to eat every single day. They're going to have a teacher. They're going to go to school for like two years. We can fund all of that. And it made me think about uh, the 10 years of, of, of my senior pastor, you know, um, role here at this church. It's one of the proudest moments as your senior pastor that I've ever had um, here at this church. I love being part of a community that doesn't just talk about love, but we put love into action. 1 John 3.18. And so if you gave to that, if you donated to that, I want to say thank you. Isn't it awesome to be part of a family that blesses people locally and globally? So awesome. It's a, it's a very rare opportunity that I actually have to tell the church, stop giving. No more giving. Uh, so it's, it's cool to say that. Now, I'm not going to say that about the general budget. Please don't stop giving to the general budget. By the way, 7% of all dollars give, given uh, to the general budget goes to projects uh, like that overseas and also locally. So when you do give, if you have ever given something, you've given to ministries overseas like, like our ministry in Haiti. So uh, We're in a series right now called uh, wa uh, Not Walking Dead. It is not called The Walking Wow, okay, here we go. It's called Dying to Live. There we go, that's the name of our series, Dying to Live. And um, wow, I didn't plan that. So last week we said that everybody wants to be happy. Everybody has this desire to, to, to live a satisfying life, a fulfilling life. And uh, spiritually speaking, you know, the, the way that we find happiness, it's actually a paradox. It's, it doesn't come the way you would think. Our culture says, says that if you're going to find true happiness in this life, you have to live for yourself and make self-indulgence, self-gratification self kind of the goal of your life. And we, if you weren't here last week, what we said was, man, that whole, that whole experiment has been run. It, it, it breaks the human soul down. You can run your soul into the ground by living for yourself. Jesus offered us a different way. He said, if anybody wants to be my follower, my disciple, you must take up your cross and you must follow me every single day. Whoever wants to hang on to his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, what we discovered was that the way to true happiness is actually to give your life away instead of making self the focus of your life. Jesus said the way that, that, that uh, most people live, they go through the wide gate and it leads 
to destruction. But the, the narrow gate is, is, is not obvious. It's, it's very small. But if you walk through the narrow gate, you can actually find life. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, the, Solomon echoed this truth. He said, there is a way that seems right. The gate is wide. Oh, yeah, you know, live for yourself. Go ahead. But in the end, it leads or it is the way of death. And so we talked about that last week, and we said basically that the path to true happiness is the path of the cross, giving your life away. And so I want to continue that conversation today and kind of just take maybe a, a slightly different angle on it uh, in our t- today's talk. And I want to begin talking to you today about what has happened to you if you are a person of faith. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what has happened to you? In your notes, here, here's how I want to start. A believer or believers in Christ have become new people. They've become new people. We've received new life. What do I mean by that? We have a new destination. We have a new companion. We have new purpose. And we have new meaning in our lives. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul explains the newness factor in our life in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if, they put, if you put your faith in Christ, he is a, say it with me, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is a fantastic truth. But if we're not careful, it can be a bit misleading if we don't understand what Paul is really talking about here. Yes, we are new creations in the sense that we have a new destination, we have a new companion, the Holy Spirit, we have new purpose, we have new meaning in our life. But some people have used this verse to explain that they are immediately, every part of them has become brand new. And every part of them who, every part of their old life that they lived before they met Christ has now passed away. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you realize that that's not necessarily true on the ground level. That maybe your eternal destination is, is the old eternal destination you had, your old identity you had is gone. A lot of things have passed away, positionally speaking, but practically speaking, on the ground level, a lot of stuff hasn't really changed. Just because you said the prayer and you asked Jesus to be your Savior doesn't change who you are on the inside. Have you noticed this? Like, take, let, me, let me give you an example. Before Christ, many of you struggled with anger. Then you accepted Christ and you still struggle with anger. Anybody have that experience? Oh, how about this one? Before Christ, you really had problems with worry and anxiety, and then you prayed to accept Christ, and you asked him to be your Savior. He washed away your sins. You received eternal life, and you still struggle with worry. Anybody? Anybody? Some of you were liars. You lied before you met Christ, then you met Christ, and you're still lying. <laughs> Anybody? Some of you, for it was lust, and you had all kinds of problems with the opposite sex and pornography. Then you got saved. You still got problems with lust. Anybody honest? No, you have to raise your hand for that one. <laughs> practically speaking, <laughs> practically speaking, the old has not really passed away. And, and the old stuff is, is causing us pain, it's causing us problem, problems, and it's stopping us from experiencing the rich and satisfying life that Jesus Christ has come to give us. Anybody relate to this whole, whole concept? See, the problem in your notes there is that we still have something called the sinful nature. Even though you pray to ask Jesus to be your Savior, many of you have. You still have something called the sinful nature that has not been dealt with yet. And it's the sinful nature that causes all kinds of grief and all kinds of problems in our lives today and stops us and prevents us, like I said, from living the abundant life that Christ has come to give us. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul describes what's going on inside of you, inside of me, if you're a believer. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the 
opposite of what the Spirit wants, capital S. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us, right? So there's this, there's this tension. Then he continues and says this, and the Spirit, capital S, gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful ni- uh, nature desires. He continues by saying this, these two forces are constantly, say it with me, fighting. There's a constant battle, a constant fight going on inside of each of us so that you're not free to carry out the good intentions that the Spirit is leading you to carry out. There's a constant war inside of us, and it's called the sinful nature versus the Spirit of God in our lives. What is the sinful nature? Let's, get, let's, be, let's be clear. It is the person that has been formed. It is your very character of thought, of, of emotions or feelings, and of choices. You have a formation And just because you prayed to receive Christ and asked Jesus to be your Savior and you're washed away of your sins and you're on your way to heaven when you die doesn't mean that you have become a different person in your character. See that? That's a whole different story. That's called the the transformation or the reformation of your soul. It has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is going to heaven when you die. Listen to what Dallas Willard says about the sinful nature. The sinful nature is the substance of ourselves formed in a world against God, and it is ready to act otherwise in all dimensions, especially the social dimension, which is our relationships and people we interact with, and in the body, the the dimension of the body, our appetites, our choices, the habits that we have inside of us. He says this, our very habits of thinking and feeling are wrongly poised. In other words, you and I are like a car that's out of alignment. You ever have a car like that? Some of you are driving one right now. The wheels are out of alignment. You take your hands off the wheel. What does the car do? It's like a gutter ball when you go bowling, right? You're just right to the gutter. That's the way I bowl. Anyway, and it's, we're just, our spirits are bent towards going out of bounds. It's just the way it is, and that's the sinful nature. Just because you ask Jesus to be your Savior, it's not going to change that. This is, this is why a lot of Christians walk around very discouraged and very depressed. Because they're going to heaven when they die. They know they have their sins forgiven, but their sinful nature is dominant in their life. They walk around like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Remember? How's it going? Oh, terrible. Can't believe this happened. God, no, you know, can't overcome this sin, blah, blah, blah. Right? By the way, that's why they removed Eeyore from, from, from that whole cartoon. Did you notice that? Because he was so dang depressing. They wrote him out of the story, I think. I think, maybe not. Anyway, <laughs> but we live that way. And, a lot of, and this, this all, the sinful nature also explains why Christians do ridiculously sinful things. They steal, they lie, they cheat, they embezzle. They do. Christians, people of faith. That's a, why do we do that? Because we still are dealing with the sinful nature. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we don't have, we're, we're, we're free from, from, from the power of sin in our lives. I love the example of Peter in, in the scriptures. Jesus comes to Peter right at the end of his life, right at the end of Jesus' physical life here on earth. He says, Pete, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. You're going to do it. I know you're close to me. I know you're tight with me, but you're going to deny me three times. Peter says in Mark chapter 14, listen to this, love it. If I must die with you, I will never deny you. I, I love Peter because he's so impulsive. He's so passionate. He says what, he think, he, what he's thinking. He jumps out of water. He, he cuts people's ears off. You know, he, one time Jesus had to tell him, you get behind me, Satan. I just, you, he, just, he just represents all humanity in a sense. He says, I will never deny you even if they have to kill me. Do you think he meant it? Yes or no? Of course he meant it. He meant it with all of his heart. And the rest of them said the same thing. The other disciples were like, yeah, we're in too. We'll never, we'll never. They're going to have to kill us. 
You know, and then a couple of pages later in the scriptures, we read about a little middle school girl who intimidates Peter. <laughs> and Peter gives in to fear. What does he do? Oh, I don't know that guy. Never met him. Don't know his name. <laughs> right? Why did Peter deny Jesus three times? I'm telling you why. Because he had a pattern of giving in to fear in his life. And just because he knew Jesus and just because he believed in Jesus did not, does not mean that the pattern of giving into fear in his life was going to change. That was part of his character. That was part of his, his, his nature was to give into fear. And that explains why many of you, even though you really want to and you, you really want to do this or you want to do that, you don't do it. Have you ever had this experience before? You say to yourself, I'll never do that again. Some of you have prayed this prayer, Lord, if you get me through this night, I'll never smoke that, drink that, eat that again, never touch it. Just help me survive through this night. And did you mean, do you mean it? Yes, you do mean it. You're dead serious. That prayer is a dead serious prayer. I just want to get through this night. Jesus, I'll just live for you every day for the rest of my life. I'll never touch this stuff again. <laughs> All right? We say things like, you know what? I'm never going to touch chocolate again. I'm never going to do it. Tomorrow, start, starting tomorrow. <laughs> why do we do that why do we add the tomorrow piece in there I'm gonna go on a diet I'm, st I'm, I'm starting an exercise routine tomorrow I'm, I am I am we, and do we mean it yes we mean it and then tomorrow comes and we're right you know we don't do it or we don't follow through or we eat the chocolate or whatever it is right what's going on there it's not a, a lack of heart. We do mean this. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We mean that Peter meant this stuff. But in the moment of temptation, in the very moment where, where his life was being threatened, he went back to his default mechanism, his, his default behavior, and he caved into fear. And he said, I don't know the guy. He's human, and so are you. Listen, listen to what Paul said. I love this in Romans chapter 7. The trouble is with the devil. Is that what it says? <laughs> the devil made me do it. You love that? No, no, it doesn't say that. The trouble is with who? It's with me. The trouble is right in, the trouble is right in here. Watch what he says. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, uh, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He continues in verse 18. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I mean, I've heard people who, you know, struggle with domestic violence, men hitting their wives, which is a thing in our country. And say, man, I, I told myself I'd never do it again. I, I don't even understand why I hit her. I, I just, I swore I would never do it again. And you know what I say? I know why you did it again. Because you have a pattern in your soul of giving in to anger and you lose control. Yeah, but I said I would never do it. And I'm, I know you meant it, but you, but you didn't change in here. You have a sinful nature. Just because you asked Jesus to be your savior, just because you prayed a prayer doesn't mean you're gonna change your character. See, we're talking about something different here. You with me? Say yes if you're with me. Say yes. Okay. So what's the answer? What do we do? Well, let me give you a little bit of encouragement here, first of all. Years ago when I was at Liberty University, Jerry Falwell, when he was alive, who's the founder of Liberty, Chancellor, and all that stuff, he's now passed away. He would quote Philippians 1.6 all the time. I mean, all the time. It's just like, it just got ingrained in all of the students' heads. This is what it says. 
And I am sure of this, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, in other words, who opened your eyes to see your need for Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, that's how, that's the beginning of the work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to, say it with me, completion. This Greek word simply means to, to finish the job, to go all the way through, not to stop halfway, but to finish the piece of artwork, right? at the day of Jesus Christ. And so in my life, as I look at the ups and downs of my sinful nature, and sometimes I'll give in, and sometimes I'll do better or whatever, and my, you know, I, I go back to this verse and I realize, man, God is going to finish the work if I work with him. I'll give you an example. Just recently I was driving down 135, taking my son you know, to, to do a workout, and we were driving past um, you know, where the old place where Einstein's used to be on 135. You with me? Man, they made some good bagels. I mean, that's the closest bagel I've ever had to a New York bagel, and that's where I grew up. And I miss, I miss Einstein's. Anyway, they're building this new thing right where Einstein's used to be. And I noticed the rafters driving down the road. I noticed that, that the rafters were kind of leaning to the side, and they were, they were bowed. And I thought, oh, look at that new building. That's a new design. <laughs> that's going to look really cool. They're kind of leaning to the side and bowed. And I said, that ceiling is going to be very interesting. What do I know about building, right? So I, I'm, I'm look, I even tell my son, look at, those, look at that. This is going to be an interesting looking building. State of the art or something. You know, they make these new buildings. So we're, we keep going down, down the road. You know, about an hour and a half later, we're coming home. And I see just a pile of wood. <laughs> the whole thing collapsed. Right there on 135. It's unbelievable. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, immediately I thought, that's my life. That's what, that's what happens. That build, that build, that build, boom, you know, crashing down. Why? Why? Because that's the sinful nature. You know, you make some progress and you think you're doing okay and all of a sudden, boom, right? But have you noticed what has happened in the last couple of days? They are rebuilding it, right? Now, if that's your company building that thing, I don't mean to, you know, dish you or anything like that, but just... Here, here's what I know. They're going to finish the work. And here's what I know about God in my heart and God in, when it comes to your spiritual transformation. He is committed to completing the formation of your soul. And that ought to give you a ton of hope. Does that give anybody hope right now? Amen. But, but you have to cooperate with him. So let's talk about that. What, do, what, is, what are some things that have to happen? What's the answer here to the sinful nature? Well, in your notes there, you must die to your sinful nature. See, true spiritual life doesn't come the way you might think. It's a paradox. It involves death. Christianity is not a self-development or a self-help program, okay? You come listen to some sermons, you do some things, and you become better. No, no, no. It's actually death. Jesus says, come and die. That's the invitation, to die to your sinful nature. Listen to what he says, Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their what? their sinful nature to his cross, and they've crucified them there. We've literally taken our, our passions and our desires of the sinful nature, and we've taken a, a nail like, like they used on Jesus, and we've, we've crucified our, the passions and desires of the sinful nature. What am I talking about? I'm talking about greed or jealousy or fear, or worry, or lust, or anger, or whatever plagues you, you have to take the sinful nature and nail it to the cross. There must be a death in order for there to be life. Listen to what Paul said in another passage. Colossians chapter 3. Put to, say it with me, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. And then he gives some examples. Sexual immorality, is that a problem in our world today? Hey, let me get a little closer to home. Is that a problem in your heart? Not so many yeses. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He could have kept going with a longer list. This is, this is not a, you know, a, a whole list here. Basically, he says, you, if you want to experience true spiritual life, you have to crucify your sinful nature with all of its passions and all of its desires in order for there to be life. What does it mean for something to be dead? Dead. It means that something has ceased to exist, right? When something is dead, it doesn't move. There's no response. There's no reaction. Think of roadkill, right? It's kind of gross, isn't it? When you drive past some roadkill, what does it do? Nothing. You get even real close to it, too, you know, to where the fur is moving because of the wind. Have you done it? Poor little guys, right? they're, They're dead. Can you imagine being dead to criticism? Somebody criticizes you, no response. Doesn't even affect you. Could that be rich and satisfying life? Can you imagine being dead to lust? No response. Sexual temptation comes in your life? Not part of my life. I'm dead to that. Is that freedom? Imagine being dead to substance, the substances that kick your butt. Maybe it's alcohol. I don't know what kicks your butt. Maybe you're blessed to not have a substance temptation. Many of us do. Imagine being dead to it. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I'm dead to that. Is that freedom? What do you think? Freedom from substances? Could that be the rich and satisfying life that Jesus is describing as available? What about freedom from anger? Why do we get angry? Don't we get angry because our will has been crossed? Don't we get angry because we didn't get our way? Can you imagine being dead to anger? Somebody crosses your will. No anger, because you're dead. Because you crucified anger to the cross. Could a life without anger be a rich and satisfying life that Jesus talked about? What do you think, yes or no? But there must be a death in order to have life. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their flesh with all of its passions and all of its desires. See, the spiritual life doesn't come the way you might think it comes. It comes through death. But we have to cooperate with God in this. It doesn't just happen. We don't just pray for it. We can't just pray, Jesus, will you kill my anger? No, he says, you put it to death. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. And then God comes on the back end of it and says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Yes, he's going to help us, but if we don't cooperate with him, there will be no progress in the spiritual life. There will be no life. You with me? So let's look really quick about uh, uh, God's side, on God's side of things. What is God going to bring to the equation in order to kill off the sinful nature that's plaguing you and plaguing me? What is he going to do? Number one in your notes there, God is going to lead you into failure. He is going to let you fall on your face. He is going to lead you into scenarios where you utterly come to the end of your rope. Because the problem with the sinful nature is self-sufficiency. 
The problem with your, your old self formed in a, in, a, in a world separated from God is that you say to yourself, I got this. I can live on my own. I don't need God, right? That must die. Self-sufficiency and pride must be nailed to the cross. How, how does God hand, handle that? He leads you into scenarios where you utterly fall on your face and all you can do is look up and say, God, I can't do it. Ever been there? And for the first time, some of you are like, wow, maybe that's why I'm going through that scenario. Yes. God is trying to cut out the sinful nature out of your life by allowing you to fall on your face. Dallas Willard said, God's address is the end of your rope. And I believe it 100%. Because when you realize that God is all you have, you realize that God is all you really need. Am I right? God will lead you into failure. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, For we who are alive are always being given over to death. I don't want to be given over to death. <laughs> Anybody? I want, to, I want life to go well. I want, a, I want a problem-free life. How about that? Wouldn't that be fun? No problems, no stress, no drama. Paul says, no, not how it works. You're going to be delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. And here's the reason why. God has a plan here. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. See, Jesus wants to live through you. He wants to fill you with his life. He wants to touch people through your life. But if your flesh is in, is in control, if your sinful nature is in control and it's thick and all the patterns and habits are just very strong, Jesus gets blocked. And people can't see Jesus because all they see is you. You with me? This is painful. This hurts. I know. But this, as your pastor, I got to go here. I got to touch on this stuff. See? Jesus wants to be seen through your life, but, 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 but he can't be seen because all people see is you. And, and so what, hap- what he's trying to do is lead you into death so that his life can be manifested or revealed through your mortal body. Life doesn't, spiritual life doesn't come the way you might expect it. It comes through a death. I see this played out in my parenting more than any other place in my life because kids have a way of just getting right under your last nerve. You, are you with me? Have you raised a couple of these critters? Wow. Like no other. Like I, thought, I think marriage is easy compared to having children. <laughs> and so when my kids cross me, which is daily, who do they see? Who do they see? Do they see dad's anger? Oh, don't cross dad. Oh, you get on dad's bad side, watch out. Who do they see? See, if I don't crucify anger in my life, my kids see Danny Anderson. And they never learn to see or know Jesus. They don't get to see the life of Jesus manifested in my mortal body because Danny Anderson's sinful nature has never been crucified. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? Some of you lead businesses and organizations and all your staff, all your employees, all they see is you because your sinful nature is not crucified. They don't see Jesus through you. Some of you are teachers in classrooms. What do your students see? Some of you deal with customers. who, who Who are your customers interacting with? Jesus through you or your flesh? Well, if your sinful nature has never been crucified, they're dealing with you. And they're not seeing Christ's life manifested through your living body. Jesus said the the, the gate is narrow 
and, and, and the way is hard. Few find it, but it does lead to life. There's got to be a crucifixion. So God will lead us into failure. Number two, that's God's part. What do we, what is God, what do we do? What are we to do? Number two, we have to take intentional action to kill off the sinful nature. We can't be passive observers here. We got to actually do some things. We got to take, we got to move, right? Well, there's, there's two parts to this. We have to help ourselves by removing temptation out of our life. We got to starve off the sinful nature. You remember watching Tom and Jerry? Anybody? Daffy Duck, some cartoons. Love those guys, right? And almost in every one of those cartoons, the little devil would appear on one shoulder over here, and then the angel would appear on this shoulder. Man, by golly, that is almost 100% accurate. You got the spirit, you know, the devil speaking into your, this ear, and you got the spirit speaking in this ear. It's like, and these two are contrary one to another, and, and, and you're, there's a conflict going on. Well, who are you going to listen to? Who, who's going who's to win the day? The devil, the, the flesh, or, or the spirit? Well, the answer is very simple. Whichever one you feed. Whichever one you yield to. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 simply says this. If you, if you sow to your flesh, you will reap corrupt, corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. So we have to learn to starve off the flesh and shut the flesh up and yield to the Spirit and feed the Spirit in our lives if we want to live the life that Christ has planned for us. There's two parts to that. Number one is starving off the flesh. Listen to what Romans chapter 13 says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, clothe yourself with Jesus. Live for him. Yield for him. Fill your life with him. And make no, say it with me, provision for the sinful nature. That's another word for flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make it easy for yourself to give in to the sinful desires that are lurking within you. That's what Paul, that's what Paul is saying here to the Romans, right? So if you're an alcoholic and on your drive home, you know, you have to pass by three bars, go a different way home. How about that? There's a, that's, that's called making no provision. Or if there's a person at the office that you're tempted to flirt with that's not your spouse, and you, the Spirit says, I want you to be faithful to your spouse, and you're tempted with this person, go down a different hallway. Go down a different staircase. You may, am I making sense? My wife, I, I said to my wife frequently, I said, you know, I wouldn't eat those cookies if they weren't in the cupboard. <laughs> this is such a really, like, this is like real life stuff here, Okay. Like the reason that I struggle with the cookies is because they're there. Now, I don't have enough energy or time to go to the store and buy cookies. But if they're in the closet, and she shoots back at me and she says, well, don't you have self-control? I said, well, that's not the point. <laughs> Why do you have to make it about me? <laughs> See, I'm try- I am blaming my wife somewhat. I mean, it is my, ultimately my fault because I ate the cookies, but, but she is, is, is making a way for my flesh. <laughs> Just provi- if the cookies weren't there, I wouldn't eat them. Come on. That's, are, you, are you following me? Say yes. Are you following me? Don't, don't make it easy for your sinful nature to, to gratify its desires. Come on, you've got to take action here. Remove the temptation out of your life. There's certain people, there's certain places, there's certain things, there's certain movies, there's certain music that you need to stop getting around and listening to. You're making it difficult on yourself. And that's why you're not experiencing the abundant life Christ has for you. So there's that part of removing certain things, but then you have to add certain things. Let me give you three specific things. There's a ton more. We don't have time to talk about all of them, but let me give you three of the most potent things you have to add in order that can kill off the sinful nature. Number one is scripture. And I'm talking about a lot of scripture. I'm talking about getting the word of God flowing through your mind all day long. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. That's what we're after. We're after life, right? We all want to live and find happiness. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit 
spirit and their life. He tells us the answer. He tells us the way. You want to find joy, peace, eternal living, abundant living? Take my words into your mind, into your heart, and they will give you that life. Let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I fill my mind with scripture, I'm not going to have much room for sinful thoughts. And if I don't have much room for sinful thoughts, am I, what's going to happen to my choices? Right? Our choices need some thoughts. Our mind provides options to our will. You with me? So if, I don't, if my mind doesn't provide my, provide my will with sinful options, I will not make sinful choices. But on the other hand, and so therefore, by the way, that kills off the sinful nature. But if all I'm doing is filling my mind with the words of Jesus that give spirit and life, that's going to present great options to my will, and then I, ha- I can choose great things. You see how that works? And so I'll give you a couple of examples that I, I would love for everyone to memorize. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Right, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and, see some of you know it, all day long. Think, not in your devotions in the morning. That's great. I think you should do devotions in the morning. I think you should do them at night whenever you do it. But I'm talking about all day long. What did God tell Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 before Joshua went into the promised land? He said, look, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, it's to be on your tongue all day long. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that according to what's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. I wish you would memorize Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. I wish you would memorize Psalm 16, verse 8, which says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my body dwells secure. I wish you would memorize Psalm 16, 11, which says this, you have shown me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. These verses, Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Why do I have these verses memorized? I could keep going if you'd like me to. I have these memorized because I want to cram my mind filled with the word of God so that there's no room. There's no room for sinful thoughts to take its place. It's like, have you ever been outside of a crowded elevator and you look at the elevator and there's a bunch of people in the elevator and you're like, I'll wait for the next one? You ever been there? Because you know when you get in a crowded elevator, it's all, there's all kind of smells and it's awkward. <laughs> so you stay out right? You get the next elevator. That's what it's like in your mind. If you crowd your mind filled with great thoughts, there's no room for sinful thoughts, and then you won't, you won't fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. So scripture, number one. Number two, solitude. Solitude, you got to get away from everything, including social media and your cell phone. It's absolutely true that the sinful nature is oftentimes caught up and strengthened by our social connections to people at work or people wherever we are, our social interactions. And so we have to separate from, from them from time to time so we can reorient ourselves to the kingdom of God and what God's word is saying. By the way, if you don't do number one, scripture, and you try to get alone in solitude and your sinful nature is strong, you're going to be in big trouble, <laughs> okay, if, you, if your sinful nature is dominating your life. So I would suggest make sure you do number one before you do number two. So you're in solitude and you're following Jesus' example in Luke chapter one. This is what he says, Mark chapter one, sorry. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house. He went out to a what? A solitary place. And that's where he spent time talking to his heavenly father. He separated himself. 
and reoriented his spirit and his soul, his mind and his emotions and his choices to the kingdom of God. He sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all he were entrusted for all these other things to be added to his life, right? Solitude kills off the sinful nature because it breaks those social connections. Number three, fasting. Fasting. One time Jesus' disciples were being criticized. They said, hey, John's disciples uh, fast. Yours don't. What's going on? And Jesus basically responds by saying, look, I'm the bridegroom and this is time to party, and so, but there's a day coming. Watch what he says here. He said, there's a day coming when then I'm not going to be here. He says, but the time will come when the bridegroom himself will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Did you know fasting is supposed to be a regular part of your Christian walk? In those days, they, me, you, his disciples, will fast on a regular basis. I don't want to make a rule out of this or a law out of this. That's, that's pharisaical and, and all that stuff. But it's supposed to be a regular part of our life. Because fasting breaks the power of having to have our way. And that's the sinful nature. The sinful nature says, I want things to go my way. I want it when I want it, how I want it. And when you fast, you break that power in your life. Because you're talking about your number one appetite, which is not sex. And some of you would say, yes, it is. No, it's not. It's food. It's food. Think about it, right? You can go without sex, but you can't go without food. And so when you say no to your stomach, wow, that strengthens the spirit inside of you to say, man, I don't have to have my way. That's killing off the sinful nature. You learn how to say no, and you transfer that power over to, I don't know, whatever is plaguing you, fear or worry or lust or greed. That's why I always recommend fasting to people who are struggling with some really strong part of their sinful nature that's just dominating their life, and they have no control over it. I'd say, you know what? You need to learn how to fast. You need to let the Spirit of God control you. Reorient your life towards the kingdom of God. Start to feast your soul upon God. Jesus said it this way. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When did he say that? He said that within the context of a 40-day fast when he was tempted, being tempted by the devil. You see that? We learn to live our life off of God and his word when we fast and we strengthen the Spirit of God inside of us and we win over the sinful nature. Fasting. Solitude, scripture, making no provision for the flesh, the sinful nature. That's what leads to life. See, it's, it's a paradox. You wouldn't think that. The way to true happiness in the spiritual life is through death. Now, here's what's crazy about all this. This is the path that Jesus has laid out for eternal life and abundant life right now. You don't have to do any of it. Not one thing. You can, you can ignore everything I said today and say, you know, that sounds too difficult. I don't want to die to my flesh. I don't want to crucify my sinful desires. I like to do what I like to do. I think the Bible's outdated. I want to sleep with my girlfriend. <laughs> okay? I want to do what I want to do. You don't have to do anything. But if you do nothing, you will forfeit the rich and satisfying life that Jesus Christ came to give. You'll be left with an Eeyore type of Christianity. Ooh. Go to heaven when I die. I guess I'll just wait it out. Life sucks. Depressed, discouraged, angry, frustrated, addicted, defeated. You, you can live that way. I'm telling you, there's so much more available to you if you crucify the sinful nature, if you nail it to the cross. You can experience freedom from all that plagues you. That's the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised us. 
He said this, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Whoever wants to hang on to his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me wrap up by saying this today. You know, Jesus died on the cross to give us eternal life. He laid down his life so that you could live forever. When he was nailed to the cross, he took the penalty of sin that you were supposed to pay, that I was supposed to pay, so that we could be totally cleansed and totally washed and made new. There's some of you here today, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to say to him, you know what, Jesus, I believe you laid down your life for me because you love me. And today I'm going to ask you to be my savior. Wash away all my guilt, wash away all my shame. I want you to make me a brand new person. I want you to make me a child of God like we just sang about a few moments ago. You say, how do I do that? Well, you you simply put your faith in Christ. You ask him to be your savior. How do I do that? You pray. And you know what? You don't even have to do it. I'll lead you in the prayer. You can can use the words that I'm about to give you because it's not the prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's your faith behind the prayer that makes you a child of God and washes away all your sins. And in this prayer, what what you're declaring is that you believe Jesus is the son of God. You believe he died for you on the cross. You believe he rose again the third day so that you could have eternal life. If you'd like to do that right now, if you feel God tugging on your heart, and if you, do, if you do feel a tug on your heart, make no mistake, that is the Holy Spirit saying, come on, come on, this is you, this is right, step into this moment, put your faith in Christ. Don't, put, don't snuff out the Spirit right now. Obey Him and follow Him and reach out in faith and, and pray this prayer. Say to Jesus, dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin so I could be forgiven, so I can be washed, so that I could be your child. I place my faith in you today. I ask you to be my savior. And help me from this day forward to give my life away to take up my cross, to crucify my flesh so that you can live your life through me and advance your kingdom through my body. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, please, on your way out, just grab a one-year New Testament. It's our gift to you, totally free. You can get it at the tables back here to my left and to my right. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and grab one. The greatest advice I've ever received after I put my faith in Christ was from a man named Byron Seashore, retired missionary from Africa. He told me, he said, Danny, I was about 17 years old. He said, take up the word of God, begin memorizing it, begin reading it, because I promise you, God will direct your life. He will show you what he's like. He will show you what needs to change in your life. He will give you direction and guidance every single day. And sure enough, Byron Seashore is right. I've been reading the Bible now since I've been 17 years old. It's guided my life and it's led me into an intimate relationship with Christ. Please grab one of these on your way out. Don't just take it so that it ends up in, you know, half price books a month from now. (laughs) Okay, don't do that. Take it and begin reading it and taking the word of God into your heart. Can we give God praise today for what he's done? As As you leave today, as you leave today, let me leave you with one last quote from one of my favorite little books. Love quotes. It's called Let Go by Francis Fennell, and he said this. 
there is no other way to live the Christian life, no other way than by a continual death to self. No other way. You can go to heaven when you die and not die to yourself, but there's no other way to find the rich and satisfying life, the abundant life that Christ came to give us without a continual death to self. And you know what? Jesus is such a gentleman. He'll say, it's your choice. If you want to be my disciple, if you want true life, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. The choice is now yours. My hope and prayer is you'll have a great discussion in your small groups this week about this whole issue and that you'll begin to take up your cross and nail the desires and passions of your sinful nature to the cross so that you can have life. The way up is down. Isn't that crazy? What would happen? What would happen if as a a family, a, a church, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, we died to the flesh and Jesus' mortal, Jesus' literal life began to live through us? What would happen to our community? What would happen to our world? Well, it remains to be seen. You want to you you run that little experiment with me? All right, let's do it. Heavenly Father, help us to take this step. Give us the boldness, the courage. We're dying to live. We want happiness. We want true life. May we take up our cross, crucify the sinful nature daily, and follow you. Live your life through us touch people, bless people, love people through our very bodies. Advance your kingdom through us and we'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next week is Easter. Let's pack this place out, presenting a very simple gospel presentation. Not going to want to miss it. God bless. Bring a friend.